Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, the pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. And now we play the waiting game. EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey. WFAN original talking Knicks here. Plenty to get to on this episode of Orange Blue, but we will be talking about the deadline being extended for Josh Hart's player option. Josh Hart has an option of about $13 million coming up for this upcoming season. He previously said he would decline that option. Now there's been a delay uh, in the deadline for him to make a decision on that um a decision to to pick up the option so i'll talk to tommy b about why this delay happened what it could mean for the knicks and what benefits could the knicks have from josh hart accepting the player option if that is indeed what he's considering so we'll talk about that also uh a pseudo longtime nick is on his way out potentially derrick rose uh, one of the more longer tenured knicks on this current squad he has a uh, not had his player option picked up or his team option picked up by the New York Knicks. So he could be on his way out. That was $15 million supposed to come to his way. He now becomes a free agent. We'll talk about what indications we can get from the Knicks deciding not to pick up his team option. And if there's any possibility, Derrick Rose could be back on the New York Knicks next season. And more smoke to the fire potentially involving Dante DiVincenzo. Yet another reporter now saying that league personnel around the league is starting to believe that Dante DiVincenzo, the Golden State Warriors free agent, will indeed join the New York Knicks offseason to pair up with his old college buddies, Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson. So a lot to get to on this episode. Again, my Tommy, my guy, Tommy Beer, joining me as always. Tommy, how you feeling? Feeling good, feeling good. We are uh, just a couple days away from free agency. We're recording this uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday afternoon, so... Uh, free agency will start around uh, on Friday around 6 p.m. But we'll start to hear some some uh, rumors start to pick up steam. One of them being Dante DiVincenzo potentially joining his Nova mates, Jalen Brunson, yeah. Josh Hart. So uh, let's start there and uh, talk a little bit about a potential free agent ad for the Knicks and how I'm not sure exactly how it fits. So uh, let's get into it, EJ. Interesting enough. So again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Audience WFN original. Uh, podcast you can get wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. So we begin with the wig game, like I mentioned. Josh Hart, uh, he makes his decision uh, to extend the deadline to his player option for next season. It was a decision that both him and the Knicks agreed to. Hart previously told Taylor Rooks that he would be opting out of his contract this summer to become an unrestricted free agent. But the pause uh, in the negotiation could mean he's at least considering picking up that option. By doing so, he would leave himself eligible for a potentially bigger payday via a new extension with the Knicks. Knicks will be able to pay Josh Hart $81 million on a four-year extension if he opts into next season. By doing so, Knicks will also save some money this season, keeping them further away from the dreaded luxury tax. So, Tommy, why do you think Josh Hart elected to extend this deadline, and how realistic is it that he opts in uh, and signs an extension in your eyes? Yeah, I think it's pretty realistic. I think they're they're kind of trending in that direction. So um, let's preface this by just kind of going over some of the particulars um, and get that out of the way. So um, on the contract, 
Josh Hart had previously signed with the Pelicans, actually, but before being traded to Portland, yeah. um, has a player option for next season, the 23-24 season, for $12.9 million. That, upon its inception, upon the signing of the contract, that, that decision date um, was set to expire Saturday night. Both teams decided to extend it all the way up to Thursday at midnight, right before the start of free agency. Um, uh, and because it, it, it potentially benefits, it does benefit both sides to kind of go in this direction and potentially uh, in, include, uh, it could benefit both sides by having Josh Hart opt in and then signing extension. Um, so just a little bit of the details on that. Um, previously under the old CBA, you could only sign a contract for a hundred per 120% of your, of the final year of the contract. Um, that's been uh, increased from 120% to 140%. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Hart would at least consider this, um, because of that, because of that increase in percentage, Hart could potentially sign a four-year extension worth up to $81.2 million. Okay. So why would Josh Hart? Um, accept a $12.9 million contract for next season when he could make more than that on the open market because the Knicks could, he could opt into that final year of the contract. And then in August, um, again, it, it couldn't be simultaneously, but obviously there'd be essentially a handshake agreement that the Knicks would sign him to that four-year extension. Knicks don't have to give him the full 81.2 million. It could be right. 79, it could be 86, you know, I mean, it could be 76, could be, you know, whatever case is, obviously you would assume it, it's more towards the end, the end of the spectrum. So the benefit for Hart for opting in and extending, he adds an extra year. So instead of four years of guaranteed money on the open market, again, that's assuming that another team's willing to, you know, give him a four-year contract, which I assume there would be plenty. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, would it be at 15 for four years per? Would it be at 16? Would it be at 14? You know, we don't know. Um, if he signed the full, uh, the opted in for 12.9 this upcoming season and then signed the four-year extension, that's five years of guaranteed money for, for Josh Hart. Basically takes him throughout his prime. Yeah. Um, if he does, so if he does sign that, uh, opt in and sign the extension, that's 94 million over, over five years, essentially right around $18.8 .8 million per season, which is probably a little bit higher than market value, um, on an annualized basis for heart. You know, if you, if you, if you secret polled all 30 GMs, my guess would be they probably feel most comfortable paying Josh Hart somewhere between, 13 to 17 million dollars a year maybe 14 to 18 million dollars a year um so you know 19 you know essentially 19 million dollars a year maybe a smidge over um yeah. value why would the knicks consider this uh, how would it benefit them why would they use to extend? because again this was mutually agreed upon this decision to extend the deadline from saturday to thursday the knicks the primary benefit for New York of having Josh Hart opt in um, for under $13 million this year is it reduces their salary cap uh, commitments for the upcoming season. That's important, obviously, not just because it gives them more caps flexibility um, in terms of relative to the salary cap, but just as importantly, relative to the luxury tax line. Um, and that's a number, seed number, it's basically dollar for tax. Um, and not only does it, you know, this is the thing we're just in. James Dolan's bottom line it impacts the Knicks flexibility in terms of being hard capped and the way that they can kind of um, benefit uh, the way that they can kind of tweak their roster, not only this right. season, but going forward. So um, I say all of that to say this, there's, there's pros and cons for both sides. Um, but I think ultimately the Knicks want Josh Hart. He's a perfect fit. I think Hart wants to be in New York. He understands he's a perfect fit. He, he seems to love playing in New York. Why wouldn't you? Um, he's playing with his buddy, Jalen Brunson. They're a competitive team on the rise in his prime, uh, in the capital of the world. Um, so my, my guess is, uh, you know, pure speculation that this gets done. Um, I think he ups and I think he signs a four-year extension. I don't know if it'll be the max 81 million. Um, it, it really wouldn't surprise me. And I don't think that'd be a bad deal. Um, but I see the next kind of having a descending value as they like to do on their contracts. Does that final year have a player option? Does it have a team option? Those are kind of the things that they'll negotiate on. Um, but I think looking at the big picture, all things considered, this is pointing towards both sides coming to an agreement sometime before Thursday at midnight. Yeah, I think so. I, I agree with that. I think it, if you get to a point where you you move the deadline back to Thursday, it makes me feel like there are probably productive enough conversations happening yes. where they feel like, okay, we'll find a way to a number. Maybe we're not there today, but by Thursday, we'll definitely get there at this point. And I think that this would be a great benefit to the Knicks, uh, particularly because you get Josh Hart at that lower number this offseason. And then what happens with that, as you mentioned, 
Um, it, it opens up your, your flexibility when it comes to being further away from that luxury tax. It gives you more flexibility with making sure you can ensure you get that full mid-level exception. Uh, you may have to release some guys and, and Derrick Rose not being here will we'll add to that as well. So I, I think in many ways this is uh, a, a benefit to the Knicks if this does indeed happen. The Knicks have, interestingly enough, they've been benefiting from having players that they sign to descending contracts in terms of value here. This may be a rare occasion where you have it kind of flipped, where the Knicks will benefit today by having a guy at a lower number and then maybe paying him a little bit later. And I, I think that, you know, essentially Josh Hart's got to make the decision, look, five years, $95 million essentially, which is what you'd be talking about when it comes to a, a full extension if that is what the Knicks are offering. Can you get that on the open market? I don't think so. I mean, not in this market. No, these are not not for a team that you'd probably want to play for. Like, you know, could the Rockets give you that? Could the Spurs give you that? Maybe, but do you want to play for those teams that are going to be uh, near the bottom, especially the Rockets? Maybe the Spurs will turn around quickly with Wemby, but with the Rockets, do you want to be near the bottom there for a long period of time? I, I would doubt that. He's talked about wanting to be in the Northeast. He's talked about uh, trying to have a stable situation because of, you know, the newborn twins that he has now with his wife. So, um, this benefits all parties, so I, I hope that it gets uh, gets done. We saw Josh Hart and his impact on the team last season. A one locker room guy, a one guts and guile kind of guy, and he's the kind of player you need if you're going to end up eventually figuring this thing out and winning a championship. I always like to look at a roster prior to when they ever get to that mountaintop and say, "Who are guys on this team that I could see being there on the podium when the Knicks are hoisting a?" Larry O. Larry O. B. Trophy. I feel like Josh Hart feels like one of those guys. I feel like he's a Bruce Brown. I feel like he's an Aaron Gordon. I feel like he's one of those guys where you say, hey, Knicks brought him in. And it wasn't the first year. It wasn't the second year or the third year. But maybe a couple years down the line, you look at him and say, that move is a guy, as a move that ended up impacting the Knicks in a big way. And it's the reason why they eventually get over this hump. So uh, Josh Hart, if they can find a way to get it done, I'm all for it. Yeah, uh, to your point, um, basically the only teams with that that have the cap space should he opt out and become an unrestricted free agent. Knicks could obviously still re-sign him, um, you know, could you know, uh, but the the other teams that that have cap space that exceed the mid-level exception, which is essentially right around twelve point two million, um, a team like the Rockets, uh, the Spurs, uh, the Jazz, that their space is gone with the Josh Collins trade. Yep. The Pistons still have space. There's really only three teams. Uh, the other team is the Magic. The Magic are the one team. If I was Orlando, I would make a serious run at Josh Hart. Um, and yeah. Stop that. He's one. You know, he, they're a team that's kind of um, obviously still on the rise, but you know, he can kind of establish an identity and, and show the young kids how to play. Kind of that perfect mix of competitive now mentor role. Um, you know, still be competitive a couple of years in the future when you're younger, when your kids and, and, and Benchero and those guys get a little bit older and, and are ready to compete uh, for playoff wins, et cetera. Um, you know, but there there are limited opportunities for Josh Hart should he opt out. Um, and uh, and again, just circling back to kind of the money whole situation, um, as EJ mentioned, uh, the primary benefit of getting Hart to opt in. Um, and, and staying below the luxury tax line this year is it gives you access to the full mid-level to tax non-taxpayer exception, which is 12.2 million, which opens up a whole avenue of opportunities for guy like guys like Dante Divincenzo, uh, Bruce Brown, um, you know, and we'll you know we'll talk about uh, Divincenzo specifically in a bit. Um, yeah. But uh, yes, so th- those are kind of the minutia, you know, the details behind it. Big picture. Whether he opts in and they sign an extension, which I think, again, is is in his best interest as well as the Knicks, which is why I think it will get done, or he opts out, I still think the Knicks resign him. Big picture, the Knicks need to bring Josh Hart back. I think it's one of their top priorities. Um, I understand he didn't play particularly well and was a little bit um, – his flaws were a little bit exposed in that Miami series. But think about the 25 games from the from the trade deadline to the end of the regular season where he was part of uh, the second unit that was the best second unit in the NBA. Um, grit, guts, competitiveness, a, a high IQ – um, solid locker room guy, just a staple of, of one of those guys that helps you build a, you know, winning culture is probably an overused cliche in sports today. Yeah. He kind of epitomizes it. And that's why the Knicks need to keep Josh Hart around. I remember it was only his first playoff experience, like yep. because Josh Hart's been around the league for a while. And because he kind of has this reputation of being a winning player, I think, you know, there's an expectation that, oh, well, you know, he's been in the playoffs a bunch and he should have been better in Miami. It's like, well, no, this was his first goal round. 
in the playoffs. And by the way, he was really solid against Cleveland. One of the reasons why they won that series, uh, him guarding Donovan Mitchell the way he did, uh, helped the Knicks, you know, just extinguished the Cleveland Cavaliers quickly in five games. So Josh Hart is a, a much needed piece of this team. So if they can get a deal done, that'd be uh, great, especially when you consider the Knicks gave up a first round pick in this year's draft uh, to acquire Josh Hart. So you want to make sure you get the return on that investment by keeping him here long term. So a Tom Thibodeau favorite could be on his way out of New York. A team elected not to pick up the $15 million team option for point guard Derrick Rose. Rose fell out of favor uh, and out of the rotation this season and was used in more of a mentor role for the younger players uh, during this past year. It is believed that the Knicks would consider bringing back Derrick Rose at a much lower number. Mark Stein does report that the Bulls, the Suns, and the Bucks are all teams that could have interest in the veteran guard. So, Tommy, when you saw the news come down about the Rose team option being declined, what indications, if any, did you draw from how the Knicks may be approaching this offseason by deciding not to pick up Derrick Rose's option? Yeah, I, I thought, unfortunately, it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, Rose had played 26 games in 21, 22, 27 games last year. A lot of those were garbage time minutes, um, you know, average 5.6 points in, in 12 minutes a night. Um, and even when he was on the floor, looked like a shell of himself. Um, yeah. You know, just the, those those accumulation of injuries. We know youngest MVP to the youngest player to win an MVP and the, and the torn ACL early in the Chicago days bounced back to, to kind of revive his career. Um, you know, had some bright spots in Minnesota and then came over uh, at the deadline and was, you know, a really important player for the Knicks. Amazingly, he actually played more games post-deadline that 2021 season, played 35 mm-hmm. games, um, and he hadn't played more than 27 games in any full full season since. Um, wow. He was the best player in that Atlanta series for New York. Um, you know, so so credit to D. Rose. And again, as you mentioned, um, another guy that was really important to, to changing the culture and the, the way the league viewed this team, um, teamed up with Thibodeau um, and, and was a significant opponent. I, I thought the only way that the Knicks would – pick up uh, would pick up the option or would be or not decline the option um, would be to uh, if he was involved as kind of a salary filler in a larger trade um, but the Knicks still have Fournier to kind of uh, you know to, to 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 fill that role that's the first thing I thought of was okay the Knicks don't have anything on the you know on the forefront right now they're not yeah. close to making any deal um, uh, that was the indication that, that I got from the from the Rose uh, you know because it just gives them a lot of flexibility no reason to do it right up until you have to um so, so that's kind of the case there. And again, the Knicks have plenty of point guard depth. Brunson, you know what he's going to bring to the table. IQ, sixth man of the year, and Miles McBride, who should get more minutes than he does. So there just is is no room for uh, Derrick Rose. I still wouldn't rule him out coming back as kind of a um, Udonis Haslam, you know, Taj Gibson type end of the bench veteran. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, a reserve slash assistant coach. You know, um, but I personally would love to see him get a one last opportunity to put together a healthy season in Los Angeles with the Lakers. Or you know maybe help get the Bulls back to the playoffs, something like that. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think I drew the same takeaways when the news came down that they were going to decline the option. I think that the only reason they would have picked up his option would have been to use him in a trade for a big salary star, at the very least, a, a big trade involving a lot of players potentially, where you would use that fifteen million dollars to match the money needed to make a deal like that happen. The fact that they decided that we're going to decline it essentially meant that there was going to be a likelihood that if they picked up his option, he would have been on the Knicks roster at $15 million. And of course that was a non-starter. No way you could have that happen. Even if there's a chance of that happening, Knicks couldn't allow a lot of that to happen. So that's why the Knicks decide, okay, we're going to decline this uh, option. You mentioned they do have Fournier. So if a deal comes up, we do have someone at a pretty big number that maybe we can hope get, something down the down the road and onto the finish line or past the finish line. But for, for Derrick Rose, I mean, look, I, I got nothing but love for Derrick Rose for how he played as Nick, how he represented himself as a Nick, a much better go around the second time than the first time when he was a Nick during the Phil Jackson era when, you know, he went AWOL and, and then that whole situation, how that season went down, that disastrous season for the New York Knicks. I think Derrick Rose really kind of expected uh, himself as a guy that, you know, and maybe it's not that long from now, maybe a couple years, three years, you know, you'll be seeing him at MSG getting a, you know, a nice ovation from the crowd is, you know, Knicks alumni, Derek Rose. I think that he's definitely now become a part of the Knicks family when it comes to 
uh, the way Dolan, the way the front office sees him, uh, the CAA connections, of course, with Leon Rose. Rose played well when they needed him to, which was that first year when they brought him in in that trade. He uh, was a, a six-man of the year candidate, a finalist that year, played really well in that series against Atlanta, maybe the only guy that played really well in that series against Atlanta. And since then, has been a pro. Um, there's many reasons why this season he could have uh, uh, moaned and complained about not getting enough playing time. Uh, he's a guy that's accomplished a lot in this league, and the Knicks – put together a team this year that could compete in the playoffs and make a run. And, you know, he wanted to be out there. You know, this is at this point in his stage, this stage of his career, what he's playing for. He's playing for uh, the opportunity to go deep in playoff runs and try to win a championship. So it probably was tough to sit there on the sidelines and watch the Knicks essentially do that this year without him. But the fact that he handled it like a pro is something that I, I cannot uh, stress enough was, was instrumental, I think, to make sure the chemistry of this team was right. Like if him and Fournier really start belly aching and really causing major issues, the the chemistry of this team could have been off. I mean, we just talked about last week about you know this argument Tom Thibodeau had with Obi Toppin and Obi Toppin coming in this offseason saying, hey, you know, I want more time, or if not, then we need to find a way to trade me. Like, if you already had that bubbling under the surface, imagine what would have happened if you didn't had also Derrick Rose and Fournier causing other issues as well. So we got to give a lot of credit to Derrick Rose for handling his situation like a pro. Uh, when it comes to if I would want him back, I don't know if I would, honestly. It's not anything personal, but I almost feel like at a certain point, you kind of have to turn the page to a certain era of, you know, Knicks basketball. And I'm not, I'm not saying the guys that are veterans that can go and help the young guys aren't important, but I want to put the best 12, 15-man roster I possibly can out there. Uh, Derrick Rose, at this point, from what I saw him on the court, he just doesn't look like a guy that can play. I don't know if you saw, though. It was interesting. Julius Randle on that PG podcast he was on. I don't know how they got into the conversation about Derrick Rose, but they asked him about Derrick, Derrick Rose. I think they had someone asked him what's it like playing with a legend, essentially, and that's what Derrick Rose essentially is. And he talked about, hey, you know, it's great. Derrick Rose is, a, you know, he's a great locker room guy. He's really helped our young guys. And and then he said, look, he can still play. He's like, don't get it twisted. He can still play. And one of PG's co-hosts said, well, I thought he should have played in the playoffs. And Julius Randle kind of chuckled and said, well, don't get me in trouble. It almost sounds like Julius Randle maybe thinks that Derrick Rose has something left in the tank. And maybe he thinks that he's someone that they could have used down the stretch. Like, is there any thought in your mind that maybe Derrick Rose does have something left in the tank and he can contribute to a contender? Yeah, I mean, listen, I thought I was I was hesitant when the Knicks made the trade for Rose at the deadline, you know, um, two three years ago. Um, I did certainly didn't see him, envision him be you know emerging as a key component um, on the team. Um, so I'm I'm hesitant to 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 write off guys like that. I mean, Rose has come back from so much adversity. I mean, just the fact he made the NBA from where he grew up, South Side of Chicago, um, yeah. the, just the, the, the circumstances he escaped um, to to elevate himself to one of the be, you know best point guards in the world, the youngest MVP uh, in NBA history. Those are the type of guys that uh, I wouldn't count out. So, you know, he obviously he didn't play well last year. He didn't look good last year. At the yeah. same time, we saw him after he had not played an NBA game for three weeks, come in, play four minutes, and take a few shots. Um, very difficult to do uh, yeah. under those circumstances. Difficult Absolutely. to look good or you know sharp or clean and crisp. Um, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to a team like LA or Chicago or you know you know uh, the Clippers maybe somebody that needs some some point guard help um, and and gives them eighteen to twenty solid minutes on and off the bench. You know he's not a good defender at this stage of the career. Um, he's improved his three point stroke, which you know is obviously immensely important because um, he's not as quick, not as athletic, not as an elite a finisher as he once was. Um, arguably the most explosive point guard I've I've ever seen. You know he, yeah. his, his his dunk over over Dragic, uh, maybe my favorite in game dunk in NBA history. Um, yeah, he has all a timer. His, uh, his high school mixtape um, is, is legendary. He was, he's, I mean, people say, you know, people compare, you know, John Morant and, and some other guys. I mean, but if you watch a young Derrick Rose, those first three, four years in the NBA, um, there has never been anything like 
that before. I don't think there's been anything like that since. Um, maybe Westbrook is, is in that conversation in terms of combination of size, strength, athleticism from elite guard. But uh, Rose was that dude. I, I think kids today, um, you know, he gets respect as kind of a, a revered figure. Um, but I don't know if, 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 if young folks today understand just how good he was that early on in his career. Yeah, and one of the biggest pet peeves I have in conversations about basketball is the, you know, relitigation of guys getting awards from people who weren't around or, or don't remember why guys got, guys got awards. And one of the biggest uh, relitigations I see all the time on, you know, basketball Twitter or the basketball internet is why Derrick Rose win that MVP over LeBron James several years back. And it just drives me crazy because – what Derrick Rose did for that Bulls team, making them the number one seed in the Eastern Conference over that Miami Heat team that had the big three. Um, the way Derrick Rose just completely annihilated essentially every point guard matchup he had that season. And at a time where the point guards back then were killers. You're talking about Chris Paul. You're talking about Darren Williams. You're talking about Rajon Rondo. Look at his head-to-head -head numbers against all those guys during that season. Absolutely dominating that matchup offensively and defensively. I mean, he was an absolute killer. You can't just look at uh, how many points a game a guy was averaging in field goal percentage and say, oh, right. this, this guy should have won an MVP over that guy. Like, it just doesn't – presenting those numbers without context is a, a fool's errand. And I, I can't stand it when it comes to talking about Derrick Rose and his legacy. He absolutely deserved that MVP. And like you said, definitely one of the best point guards of his generation for sure. And you, you, one of those what-ifs, you know, you just wonder if, if he never got hurt. Would he have ever left Chicago? You know, would he have ever won a championship? Like, how does his career directly change um, if that doesn't happen? Do you think Derrick Rose gets in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, listen, every MVP has. It's a fascinating yeah. question. You know, I think a lot of people have said if there's ever a player that won't get to the Hall of Fame that's won an MVP, um, it's Rose. Man, I think, again, we've and we've talked about this before, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, so you factor in his 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 uh, one season under Calipari, um, and then in, in the uh, at Memphis at NCAA level um, when he was productive and, and got his team to a final game, and then obviously state championships in Chicago. Um, I think I'd lean towards putting him in again. I just think um, you know the totality of his career is is not necessarily up there. You know, cumulative counting stats, et cetera, with with the, the with some other players that have have been elevated and elected into the hall. But um, one other factor that that people like to you know, um, you know, Sandy Koufax didn't pitch as long as Nolan Ryan, but this peak was was as good was better than anybody else's. You know, the yeah. side of Bob Gibson. So I think you know those factors, and he did enough. He kind of had that resurgence with the Knicks, um, obviously late in his career when he was uh, you know a finalist for Sixth Man of the Year. Yeah, um, he had, he had good years in Minnesota and in Detroit too, as a as did, a role he had player. Solid kind of years, guy. not dominant, but good enough to you know yeah. you know. Um, to, 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 to elevate his, his, his career statistics um, to a place where I would be, feel comfortable voting for him. I, I think, um, gun to my head, I, I think he, he deserves to, uh, to get elected into the Hall. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happened with Derrick Rose, his Hall of Fame case, his career trajectory. He doesn't sound like a guy at all that's uh, looking to retire. So what happens with him next season? And if it is a, a situation where he's back with the Knicks, I, it would be something to follow. Do you think he gets in, EJ? Something tells me no. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, you're essentially putting him in in a basically a four-year right. four right. window, you're saying. You're saying comes in the league, rookie of the year, then three straight all-star games, one of them MVP, and then hurt. And then at that point, not a Hall of Fame player, a good player still. Correct. A guy who's like going to six-man of the year type of player, but not a Hall of Fame player. Is that enough to, to put him in? My instinct tells me that, that he – won't get in the guy I think about when I compare him is Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway didn't mm. win a it's championship, a didn't win an MVP, but I mean that's a guy that had essentially a same a similar window, probably three, four, five, maybe even longer window of being an elite player, but then got hurt and then still played years after that, had some good years, but right. never uh, you know uh, back to that All Star caliber, and he is not in the Hall of Fame and. I, I think I've seen some people bubble and say, hey, you know, Penny Hardaway should get in. But I don't see this, like, case anybody no. banging the door saying get Penny Hardaway in the Hall of Fame. Now, Penny doesn't have an MVP, so that's a, a major yeah. difference. Penny Hardaway was all-NBA first team, so he was an elite player. Twice. But, Twice. Yeah. 
when there were point guards, uh, when he, you know, when there was elite. Yes, exactly. Guard, as you mentioned. Exactly. So Penny Hardaway was that dude. And yes, he's not in the Hall of Fame because of an injury so or multiple injuries, really. So that if that's the precedent, that's why I lean no. If the MVP is what puts him over the top, I could see that happening. But that, that was why I, I kind of leaned up. It's tough. Uh, it's going to be tough. I think he has – he Derek Rose has a lot of sentimental value and sentimental love from a lot of people who love this game because of how he plays this game. Yeah, so yeah. that could that could end up putting him over the top. You never know. He's kind of have – like he kind of has an Allen Iverson kind of uh, feel to him where it's like it's not – it goes again beyond the box score, beyond what he actually did in terms of – the, the the numbers sometimes it's just the impact the cultural impact that a guy has and, and D yes. Rose uh, he definitely checks that box in a major way. Uh, to, uh, I just looked it up. Um, Penny only finished inside the top ten in MVP voting once. Um, he was third in ninety five ninety six behind Jordan and, and the Admiral. There you go. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I, I'm I'm very curious when Derrick Rose retires what. The, the the lay of the land is and, and his MVP excuse me his uh, Hall of Fame case, but because uh, good luck to Derrick Rose in this offseason. Hopefully he finds a home and he can go out there and uh, contribute to some team. And if it's the Knicks, then hopefully he can come here and continue to be uh, the solid uh, veteran mentor that he's been. Okay, so it is feeling more and more like a formality that the Warriors free agent guard Dante Divincenzo will be joining the Knicks this offseason. Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports adding fuel to that fire reporting this morning as we record on Tuesday that there is quote growing noise among league personnel about DiVincenzo joining former Villanova teammates Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart in New York so we talked about uh, Dante uh, a little bit in the past uh, in the previous episode we just did uh, last week talking about some of the uh, rumors that were going out there that the Knicks were indeed interested that was from uh, Ian Bagley and now you got uh, Jake Fisher, Yahoo reporter, saying that the the talk around the league is that DiVincenzo will be joining the Knicks this offseason. So thinking about this from more of a formality standpoint, of course, nothing is written in stone, so we'll see what happens. But let's just say DiVincenzo is signed to the Knicks, and we'll talk about maybe the money in the next you know couple of minutes. But putting him on this roster as currently constructed, how do you see DiVincenzo fitting into this rotation? Okay, so we'll 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 table the the money talk for a minute. Yeah. Here's here's my thing. Final game of the Knicks uh, 20, 22 23 season, game 6 in Miami. You know the five starters, Brunson, Randall, Barrett, Grimes and Mitch Rob, um Hart and and Hardenstein and Obi coming off the bench. Um so seven of those players played more than 18 minutes, the five starters plus Harden and Hardenstein, Obi played 12 and and Deuce McBride got 3 minutes. Um so that there's your nine player rotation. If DiVincenzo comes here, who does he, where does his minutes come from? You know, in other words, if you're signing a guy to a right. mid level extension and he's agreeing to a mid level extension over plenty of teams will offer, you know, essentially, I don't, I don't say every team that, that, that can offer a mid level extension would be willing to give DiVincenzo uh, th- that contract to him. Um, but he's in an elite class of that type of player. Um, so, you know, would he be comfortable coming into that? You know, um, you know, would does Tibbs tell him, listen, I'm going to 10 guys next year. Um, but even, even in that scenario, you know, do you, do you reduce heart, do you reduce hearts minutes? Do you reduce crimes minutes? Do you reduce IQs minutes? And, and, and obviously, as I mentioned, those seven guys doesn't include Emmanuel quickly, who's the sixth man of the year. Um, right. so I just, that's the only thing that's the only, the, 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 the other, and, and the one other thing we talked about last year is re- remember even Shenzo had to settle for four, for a $4.5 million contract last year. Yeah. Um, and part of it was because he didn't live up to expectations uh, in in Milwaukee, and then uh, it, during a short stint in in Golden State. Uh, I'm sorry, a short stint in Sacramento. When uh, Sacramento, traded, yeah. When he got traded to the Kings, um, you know, it, you know, coming into his career, I was looking at the numbers today over his first three years of his career. He shot below 35 percent from three point range. Um, that the, the prior season to before signing um, uh, with Golden State. Uh, he was, I think he was 30, you know, shot 35% from the floor. That's, that's, that's not, you know, that's 42 games between the Bucks and the Kings was injury prone, had a poor assist to turnover ratio, 2.8 to 1.7. So, um, you know, are you, are you buying high? And that's, that's something we've talked about here. How much do you attribute 
to his career high efficiency numbers to playing alongside Steph and Draymond and Clay um, and those guys. So those are the things that that give me that give me pause. Um, but again, he's a competitor. He's a grinder. Familiarity comes from a winning program. Um, the relationships with Brunson and Hart. Um, I think all those work in his favor. So I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him in again. My 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 biggest concern essentially um, is finding enough minutes for him. And I, you know, it's, it's sort of like you know, starting pitching. You can never have enough of. You know, effective. Uh, you know, guys that contribute on both ends of the floor. He's not a plus defender, but he's not a negative either. Maybe a little bit above average defensively, and has some versatility. Can guard point guards and shooting guards and, and some small forwards. Um, so, you know, in, in a vacuum, I like the player. I like the, you know, I, I like the fit in New York in terms of culture and attitude and IQ and competitiveness, etc. I'm just not sure if it makes sense for both sides unless there's other moves to be made. In other mm, words, is this if they sign DiVincenzo, does that mean that another moves on the horizon? Yeah. I think I have a sneaky suspicion that maybe there is, and I'll get to that in a second. But on the DiVincenzo front, look, DiVincenzo, you talked about his 2022 season where you're talking about shooting 35% from the field in you know, mixed action with the Bucks and with the Sacramento Kings. One thing is that is important about DiVincenzo's story is, remember, that year the Bucks won a championship 2021. He did not play really in those playoffs. He had a serious injury, a, a torn ligament in his ankle. Uh, they thought he'd be ready to come back in the next season. I don't think he was ready at all. I think that's why you saw those numbers suffer so greatly when he came back. He was ineffective for the box. They shipped him out to Sacramento. And the thought was, well, you know, he's had some time to get right and he'll play better here. He'll have more opportunity here. And I think Sacramento looked at him as a guy saying, you know, hey, we're trying to build a winning culture here. This is a guy we want to keep. And he played really poorly for them. So they said, take a hike. We, we don't want him back. So he goes, he goes to the Warriors this past season. He starts 36 games this year. You know, some of those with Steph and Clay having injuries and has a really solid season. The question to me is, is he, you know, kind of moved past and, and, and gotten beyond that injury he had in 2021 that suffered, uh, that greatly impacted his numbers in 2022? Is he a different player? Or like I said in the last episode, is he a guy who – benefited from being in a great situation where you're playing with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson in the Steve Kerr offense, and you're getting a lot of wide open looks. Um, defenses are running <laughs> like madmen to try to chase Curry and Poole and, and Thompson in the three-point lines. You're the guy getting these great looks. Does that change when the guy stretching the floor with you is Josh Hart? <laughs> Does that change when the guy stretching the floor with you is Obi Toppin? Like, these are real questions I think that you have to ask. And I don't know if we quite know the answer. I mean, again, the only other team he played with that he had a lot of success with was Milwaukee. Again, another team, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton. Like he's, you know, for one season, Drew Holiday. Like another team where you're – Drew Lopez, you're running around trying to keep Giannis out the paint and then chase those other guys. So, Devin Chungo is the guy that ends up getting good looks. That Those have been the best years of his career. So, who is Dante DiVincenzo? I don't know if it's necessarily this like slam dunk that he's definitely like a baller. Now, yeah. I do think that he's a grinder. I do think that he's a hustle guy. I do think that he's a guy who plays the right way. How effective will he be? I think it's a little of a question mark. Which is why like I have not been that keen on the Knicks, like this being the guy that they give yeah. essentially maybe their full mid-level exception to. Like right. I look at what the Knicks were missing last year. I don't think it was guts and guile. I think a lot right. of people thought this was a pretty tough physical team. I think you look at this team and said they need more shot creation and they need more shooting. Uh, and then probably some more perimeter defense, and maybe even Chesler could help you with that. Right. But those first two things maybe being the first things on the docket, the DiVincenzo add to that, uh, I'm a little skeptical, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you can sign Seth Curry for $3 million or DiVincenzo for twelve. Uh, you know, like if, 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 if you, again, this is kind of fitting pieces into a roster, a ready-made roster. Um, I, I don't know, you know, uh, again, you know, obviously DiVincenzo is a better player and, you know, there's, yeah. there's, you know, there's, he's, he's more versatile, but, uh, you know, Watanabe, Javon Carter, Tory Craig, Ingles, um, you know, uh, Kendrick Nunn, there's just some other names that are floating around there that you could potentially get at a steeper price where you don't have that same competition. Um, and for precisely what the Knicks need, which is, you know, you could argue, you know, more of a spot up shooter that's going to knock down the knock down open threes and kind of spread the floor. 
Um, you know, DiVincenzo doesn't have a career. And, and the fact that two organizations, two franchises basically gave up on him inside four years of being drafted um, is, is not an overly encouraging sign. But I think you make a good point that has to be taken into consideration. Um, was that, you know, 21-22 disappointing season due primarily to ankle injury rushing back and not being quite set. And, yes, playing alongside Steph Curry helped, but so did being healthy and maturation. Right. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be 26. He was 26 years old. Um, uh, so, you know, he's, he's not a youngster. Um, he does fit the Knicks timeline in that um, he can win now, but also, you know, part of their kind of youth and, and development culture. I think the positives for signing him um, are that worst case scenario, he's not a fit in terms of minutes and and, and stylistically and, you know, Tibbs and et cetera. He still will have trade value six months from now, a year from now. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you're inking him to this big long-term contract, hoping that he's, you know, going to help, you know, to turn the franchise from loser to winner. It's more of an ancillary complimentary piece. So if he doesn't quite fit, um, you can shake things around. And again, guys at that contract level, um, as we've seen, and again, we talked about it for the first couple of weeks uh, since the season ended and you've already seen it guys. This new yeah. CBA is no joke. Um, it's why the Atlanta Hawks dumped John Collins for a second round pick. Um, it's why the Wizards couldn't get Brad Be more than a, you know, didn't get a single first round pick in exchange for Brad Beal. A lot of pick swaps and, and he had a no trade clause and all that stuff's factored into it. Um, but again, this is a new day and age in the NBA um, where, where salary structure is really, really important. Um, so having a player that's uh, that that's a that, that is a positive um potentially uh, make a positive impact on both ends of the floor and he did have a positive plus minus in golden state last year um he did uh, i looked at his defensive numbers they gave up three fewer points with him on the floor than with him on the bench um so you know again there's a lot to like there it certainly wouldn't be a bad signing by any means um but i'm like you um i can be talked into it i'm not opposed to it but i'm not oh my god this is the piece that's going to put the Knicks yeah. over the top um i think there are some some questions there in terms of uh, opportunities, minutes played, fit, and, and all that stuff. Um, but again, you know, if you're if you're talking about uh, this is the best opportunity you have, um, then that it's certainly worth considering. It, would Bruce Brown be a better fit? A little bit more of a defender, a little bit more of a glue guy. Um, yeah. You know, well, all those things. And, and 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 to your point, you don't have to spend that twelve point two million all in one place. You could spend four here, five there, and this kind of gives you a little yeah. bit of a, a little versatility, a little insurance. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll see what. I mean, you know. do you think that Dante gets the full twelve? I think it, I, I think yes. I, I think because if he does, if the Knicks don't give it to him, other team will. So I think the mm -hmm. Knicks will be forced to, um, uh, you know, uh, the Knicks will be forced to go there. Essentially, um, they might not like to, and you know, he probably would be willing to sign for maybe ten. But when he looks at the numbers, you know, six million over four years as agent, and then the rest of them will tell him, listen, um, I understand if you want to play with Brunson and, and Hart in New York, but um, let's go to the Pistons and get our full twelve. You know, <laughs> yeah, they just want to get want to get that full commission yes uh, for detroit and then take a take a less take less from that standpoint yeah i mean look divincenzo and, and when i saw this news come down and how fisher connected it to playing with josh hart and um jalen brunson part of me wondered if this delay that you have in josh hart in this um in his deadline with his player option had something to do with maybe the knicks trying to back channel and say hey divincenzo like what's the number that we can get you at um, right. And how can we make sure we're under the luxury tax, but have enough for the full mid-level exception? Like the Knicks could be kind of maneuvering behind the scenes, like all of these teams are. Uh, everybody's tampering. Everybody's doing what they have to do to make sure they're ready once that date hits and free agency starts in a couple of days. That they they all know what's going on and what it is. So some of that could be connected. Is there any value you think to like? The Knicks, like the fact that he's joining two Villanova Wildcats, like, is there any value to having a bunch of guys that played on the same team? Like, do you think that that's, I think about, you know, playing like there's a video game, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and, you know, there are all these characters, and it was, you know, all these different Marvel characters, but you got a bonus. You put, you know, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Storm together. Like, you got a little, a little extra boost to your team because you put three X Men together. Like, even though you don't have to, you could do, you could do Spider Man the Hulk, you know? Like, right. is there any benefit to saying, oh, we should get Dante DiVincenzo because we got two Villanova cats already here and there's some uh, benefit, there's some uh, chemistry that could be built here? 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm of the belief, actually, that it's probably a little bit underestimated in terms of the importance of chemistry and, you know, winning, obviously, is the most important thing and having talented players trumps all. But um, listen, you know, if, if you're if you're an office manager and, you know, you'll work at, a, at an Avis or an insurance company, ideally, you're probably your employees are going to be more productive if they enjoy working together, if they enjoy getting up and going to work together. You know, if they don't if they don't bicker behind each other's back and, you know, hate each other, if they go out for drinks after work. That kind of stuff spills over. I found in my life that it just it leads to a more productive, a, 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 a happier, more docile work environment. Means more leads to more productivity. Um, uh, so I, I yeah, I, I think there's definitely something there. It doesn't necessarily have to be they went to college together. Maybe they are you know work for the same agency, so they spend two weeks in California training together, or they both went to Hakeem's big man camp and developed a relationship, and their you know and their families vacation together. Um, you know things like that. You know uh, we see it in in um, football often when guys will, yeah. you know, you know, do mini camps, you know, not mandatory, but then they'll go out and, you know, pitch and catch each other for, you know, rent a house in Florida and, you know, get their families together, that type of thing. So I think it can, you know, lead to, um, you know, ha have kind of ancillary benefits. And and one other thing, just as far as the, the money's concerned and you asked if he's going to get the full mid-level, um, assuming the Knicks waived the non-guaranteed contracts of Dewan Jeffries and Isaiah Roby, I did the, the math as best I could. I came, I, I had have them right around 11.9 12 million so i think they'd be a couple you know like a couple hundred thousand short i don't think that would prevent them from you know that's they they could offer obviously the full mid-level but there they would be about 12 million under the luxury tax so that's you know maybe they would max out at 12 million and then bump it up going forward so that's something to keep in mind i'm sure brock aller and those guys have ways to kind of um manipulate you know clear out a couple hundred thousand here or there um but it's, again assuming they guarantee the contracts of deuce mcbride which they should they will and yeah. sims they should they will um they'd be just sure they, they wouldn't be able to offer the full 12 million with while staying below the luxury tax um so so something to keep in mind um again i don't think that's going to be a deal breaker but uh, again i would i mean i'm interested to, to, to fit and if that meant that if they do sign him does that mean that more moves are on the way obviously the one player that's rumored that to potentially get dealt would be obi Toppin, but yeah moving obi doesn't really you know i guess you could move hart to the four have him play right. some four have the vincenzo play some three those are there's some options there um but there's not a you know of all the players rumored to be potentially on the table there's not a clear spot to get this guy out, trade him for a future first rounder or two right. second rounders and slot, you know, DiVincenzo in there. But, you know, we'll see. The, 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 we talked about what moves could be happening by bringing DiVincenzo in because you're talking about a guy that essentially he has to be added to the rotation. He's not a guy you would think that would yes. take minutes from somebody. My thought was, what is the future of IQ? I'll be honest. Like that was where I, my okay. head went because my thing was, and you're not going to give away IQ. That's not happening. But, you know, if you are talking about trades with the Clippers for Paul George, you are talking about mm -hmm. bigger star moves that come down the pipe. And you say, you know, why is it so important to make sure you have Josh Hart locked into a long-term deal here? Why is it so important that you get Dante DiVincenzo, another guard, when you have two backup guards already, and Deuce McBride, who doesn't get enough time, as you mentioned, and I, Emmanuel Quickly, who's sixth man of the year. Why is it so vital to get a guy like that who maybe doesn't necessarily fit a need? Well, maybe you just need the bodies. Like maybe you just, you're going to need guys to fill out a, a nine to ten man rotation when the dust settles. So that was the one thing I thought about when I saw this. I'm not saying that they're trying to ship IQ out of here, but could Dante DiVincenzo be a little bit of insurance if indeed you do have to include IQ in a trade for one of these stars? I think that is something to pay attention to. That's that's something I hadn't considered. It's a good point. I guess they could potentially work out a sign and trade or something along those lines um, to, to bring even chance. When you get a lot of working parts, that's kind of why free agency is so crazy is because, um, you know, we've seen teams get burns trying to, you know, manufacture sign and trade. That's why in the new CBA, they shrunk the time. It used to be three days. You know, now it's just yeah. out because, you know, teams can kind of get stuck when you, you know, extend a, an offer to a restricted free agent and then you have to actually hand it to them. Uh, we saw that when the Rockets were chasing the Knicks around the uh, Vegas to trying to get Jeremy Lin's uh, contract. <laughs> Deep cut there. Yeah, for, for yeah I know. That's that's an old school. That's <laughs> old school cut. Did you, did you see on uh, you know, I, I, I forgive me to the YouTube channel that did interview Baron Davis. I don't remember off the top of my head. But did you see that they talked to Baron Davis? He essentially said that, yeah, the whole insanity thing really messed with Melo's head. <laughs> I, did, I almost I thought about including it on the show, but I didn't. 
Yeah, I, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about it later in the week. But yeah, it was this Baron Davis has some interesting comments about what Lin Sanity was like, um, and and how it impacted the locker room, and again, particularly how it impacted Carmelo Anthony. Very fascinating. Again, maybe I'll tweet it out. Uh, you know after we record this or maybe after this episode's out so people will actually know what I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, he talked about that. So deep cut there on the whole uh, end of Linsanity where the Knicks decided not to match Jeremy Lin's poison pill contract. Linsanity was a crazy time. Um, one quick factoid, I had an opportunity to interview Clyde um, when they first opened up his restaurant. Um, so they're yep. trying to get some exposure. So I sat down and had a few apple juices with the, the man, the myth, the legend, Clyde himself. Um, and I asked him, I talked about game seven, um, uh, you know, read limping out of the tunnel. I talked about 73 and yada, yada, yada. Um, and in that, in that context, I asked him, what's the loudest you've ever heard the garden? Was it Larry Johnson's four-point play? Was it Reed stepping onto the floor? And he said, Lynn Sanity. Without a doubt, for him, <laughs> the loudest he had ever heard Madison Square Garden was kind of at the peak Lynn Sanity. I think we you know, we talked about the Lakers game and, and some other games, but he said that was a time unlike any other. And, and he's hey, he has, he's been around the garden for more big moments than, than probably anyone else on earth. Um, so uh, I, I thought that was interesting. As Baron Davis had said in that, in that podcast he did, it was essentially like a guy came out of nowhere and became a face of the NBA. That's yeah, essentially yeah. O- only only Knicks, only player in Knicks history to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated uh, two times in a row. Mm. Wow. So, I didn't so, even know that. That's very interesting. Yeah, time. yeah. I think it's something like that or twice in the same month. Or, yeah. And he's also the only um, uh, Nick to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated Time magazine the same week. Like it was, it was a real thing. Mm. Shout out to shout out to the great Jeremy Lin. Maybe we'll try to get him on the podcast at some point. Yeah. He'd be a good guest. Uh, but I want to I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods with myself and Tommy Beer. Of course, this is a New York Knicks podcast and Odyssey WFA and original a podcast you can get wherever your po- you get your podcast, including free including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you get the auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. We drop two times a week during the off season, unless there's some breaking news or whatever. And of course, we'll just do whatever we have to do to get back on. Um, so make sure you hit that auto download feature on your streaming service. So whenever we drop, you'll get the notification or you'll go to your, your streaming service to see that we're there and you can listen to us. But um, also, by the way, you can catch us on YouTube as well. You can find us on the Odyssey Sports Channel and the, and the WFN channel if you want to watch uh, this podcast. Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to Tommy's uh, Tommy's uh, newsletter. Make sure if you're checking out the WFAN uh, host schedule and you see me on there, make sure you listen to me on WFAN. Make sure you check out New Generation Podcast Network and New Generation Media. Catch all of our other stuff outside of just Nick's interview here with Odyssey and WFAN. But that's going to do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Blood. Thank you guys again for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys.